welcome to the Nourishing Africa podcast. Today, we have here Ezene Huzo Okuru, who will be talking about creating a profitable niche from untapped opportunities in agriculture. The African agriculture landscape holds immense opportunities across all aspects of the value chain from farm to fork. More and more people are getting involved in the sector, giving birth to an emerging competitive industry across the continent. However, not too many have found that sweet spot, that niche, where profitability merges with impacts that translates to growth in the sector. So how can agri-food entrepreneurs create a niche for themselves? Our guest today, Hazine Uzo Okuru, has been able to create that niche for herself in the sector through her work with Terraformers, which is a community of edible landscape specialists who help customers to set up and maintain home gardens. Now, that is quite an uncommon venture. So how did she come up with this idea? How is it working out for her so far? What can other entrepreneurs learn? Let's listen to her. Hi, Hazine. Hi, Rama. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Please introduce yourself and your company to our listeners out there. Well, hello, everyone. I'm the founder and CEO of Terraformers.com. As uh, Ramat mentioned, it is a platform, um, we call it an online to offline platform that connects local gardeners with residents in order to empower communities to feed themselves by growing affordable and fresh produce. So currently, uh, one in four professionals complain about availability and price of um, healthy organic produce. And we find that also two out of three gardeners need economic opportunity. So we connected both. We give gardeners who need economic opportunity and employment with homeowners who do not have the time to grow their own produce, but want organic, uh, fresh produce at home. And we connect them through an online platform and then they meet offline in the homeowner's home where they uh, continue to engage in a relationship, a business relationship, while the gardener provides services. Thank you, Ezele, for that introduction. So, diving straight into the topic, how did you come up with the idea for Terraformers? What did you have to put in place to get the business started and running, given the uncommon nature of this business, particularly? Uh, That's an excellent question. So, what we noticed, what I noticed, is that People want to be healthier. People have the space, the desire, the resources to eat more nutritious food at low cost through productive and networked backyard gardening. And all we need to do is create sustainable diets and help with wiping out food deserts in the U.S., which uh, we could do through the reintroduction of self-sufficiency. Now, food deserts is defined as um, having to go within more than a mile to the closest grocery store to your home. Then uh, in the United States, that's the definition of being in a food desert. So we wanted to do something to change that. And um, I'm personally on a mission to help reduce food deserts and uh, to solve some critical social and environmental challenges, particularly uh, zero hunger and climate action, which are part of the uh, UN Sustainability Development Goals. Another thing you should know about me is that I'm also a seasoned NASA engineer and I run a spacecraft division there at NASA. So after spending 16 years building large spacecraft, and dozens of uh, autonomous small satellites, I'm able to see how food innovations to feed the hungry here on Earth could serve as inspiration for nutrition solutions on the moon or other locations humans might eventually choose to inhabit. So that's really how Terraformers came to be. And I thought, well, if we could create a platform 
such that anyone with at least 18 square feet of open air space can connect with a vetted local gardener, that would be opportunistic for the user to be able to just create an account, push a button to hire a gardener, grow vegetables, and consume at home 365 days a year. Thanks a lot, Elizabeth. So why building this business? I imagine that there would be a lot of activities towards customer engagement. So at that initial stage, what strategies did you use and have continued to use to drive customer engagement? So we conducted a lot of market research, visited a lot of farmers markets to understand what people were buying in, especially in the organic space and what people were willing to buy that wasn't organic. So we conducted a lot of user interviews and basically had a booth at multiple farmers markets for the first six months and also conducted lots of uh, garden pilots. And we did the usual pavement pounding, so knocking on doors, going from house to house to ask people what their uh, sustainable diet needs were. And the pilots were really important because they helped with uh, word of mouth. We found that for every garden we installed in someone's residential home, and in America, there aren't a lot of you know fences in some neighborhoods. So we would install the garden in front of the home and make it aesthetically pleasing. And what we found was that for each garden we installed, we would get uh, 12 new potential customers. We also did traditional um, media, you know, news articles, but that was one key for customer engagement. The other key was just focus. Given that we have a two-sided marketplace, our customers are twofold. The first are the local gardeners who provide the gardening services, and we support them with training and seeds and sometimes even a contractor's license because we really are helping them to create a business and use our platform to make money, to grow that business. So. We support them with tools that they didn't know are available to them. And our second uh, set of customers are homeowners who are the end users. So for homeowners, you know, we came up with distinct customer segments, you know, the people who are between 35 and 55 years old. And we focused on women in that age range because they may have young families. So they may want their families to eat healthily and they don't have the time or the skills to garden. And our second group was the 50 to 70 year old retirees who maybe are living at home by themselves and want to improve their health and have bad knees or travel often to visit grandchildren and so they can't garden by themselves. And then we have the younger generation, so people between 25 and 40, professionals with uh, double income, so you know the, the two partners or the husband and the wife both work and they have no kids or they only have one child so their expenses are minimal and these people obviously are people who desire to consume organic produce. And so we were able to zoom in on those customer segments and then also zoom in on particular individuals who would make the best gardeners like horticulturalists, botanists, edible landscapers, and urban gardeners and urban farmers who really enjoy growing local produce. And we trained them. So I think that in addition to customer engagement, it was also laser focus on who the customer particularly was. That's quite useful. Market research, identifying and zooming in on customer segments, those are really critical. So moving on to competitors, we know that the problem with entrepreneurship is that as soon as an idea is born, many new competitors will start springing up, bringing the same idea, putting it in a different way. So how do you see competition in this space and what key strategies have you put in place to set your business uniquely apart from the copycats and the rest? 
So my philosophy on competition is that it doesn't matter because if you have a solid vision that you are very interested in following through, that you are passionate about, you should follow it because think about it. Who is Coca-Cola's competition? I mean, someone in the last 50 years, and Coca-Cola has been around for much longer than that, could have tried a dozen or millions of recipes just to make the exact same Coke that Coca-Cola makes and then sell that, right? But even though people have tried, no one still beats the Coca-Cola brand. And another example is Apple. There are other cell phones and computer companies out there, but I draw inspiration from Apple because they might release a product late and they're not worried about being behind the competitor. They are worried about staying true to their vision and their mission. And that's what I tend to do. That's what we tend to do. So we have a few competitors uh, in the space, but no one is really doing what we're doing, particularly with the vision we are doing it for. For instance, some people focus on inedible gardens, say lawns, and you know, making beautiful flowers for residential customers. We do not want to focus on lawns. We are strictly focused on creating sustainable diets and helping people to improve self-sufficiency at home. So we are strictly in the edible market space. Some people have tried doing inedibles and edibles. Again, that's not the business we are in. So I think that focusing on what you do and what you want to do well and why you decided to start the business, because as your entrepreneurs know, I think it's been said that running a business is like eating a glass sandwich. It's very difficult. So so if you're going to stay the course, you shouldn't be bothered by what your competitor is doing. You should focus on how to spend your energies on how to improve your company and just keep outdoing yourself. Your biggest competition is yourself and trust that people, particularly the customers you have and your technologies or your skill set will take you very far. Thank you so much. So talking on carving out a niche for yourself in agribusiness, what are the top three challenges to watch out for and what can other entrepreneurs do to avoid the pitfalls? A few things. So I think that for one, one needs to have, I like to use the word humility, one needs to have humility when getting into a new space, whether you are an expert in agriculture and new business or an expert in business of new agriculture or some other combination, understand what you don't know and get team members who can fill those gaps for you because it's really difficult for one person to know everything. And then be very clear about what you must know and what you must be an expert in. One of those things is your customer. You must be an expert and know everything about your customer. And also one of the things you should be an expert in is your skill set. So if you're selling you know, exotic produce, for instance, strawberries in the market where or in an area where strawberries do not naturally grow, then obviously you need to be an expert in the supply chain, understand how to get fertilizer that will help you, how to get the strawberry seeds and understand who your providers are and what their incentives are to continue supplying things that you need so that you are not without. So understanding what you need to ensure your business is uh, successful is uh, very important and not something you can outsource. You can always outsource you know, the creation of your website, but things like your tools 
Twitter or your social media or anything that really touches your customer, I would be careful about outsourcing that. And then the third thing I would say is not understanding your landscape. So I am someone who obviously came to this from aerospace. And even though I have goals of growing food in space on the moon, I had to start at the bottom in agriculture. So I had to learn about poor soils and growing food on poor soils. I had to learn about growing food on good soils. And so I actually started with bioremediation, learning how to repair soils on a large scale, which really taught me a lot about the composition of soils. It taught me about seeds and what grows where. And in the U.S., because we have four seasons, I had to learn what grows in different seasons. So I think that those three things, like not understanding the critical pieces of your business, which is your customer and the skill set that's required to make you successful, not understanding the landscape very well or having experience in the landscape. And lastly, not having the right team of people who can make up your deficiencies or your gaps. Those are very critical insights. So we want to talk about profitability and finding the sweet spot, finding the niche for yourself in agribusiness landscape. So what critical insights would you share with other entrepreneurs out there who are still looking to find this sweet spot within their business, either they've started or maybe they're still looking to start a business? So what are those insights to share with them to help them find that sweet spot while also attaining profitability? Okay, I will start by saying that you are all very lucky to be in Africa right now. I'll say that again. You're all very lucky to be in Africa and starting a business and running a business because there's so much opportunity. In the U.S., there's very little and a lot of sectors that hasn't been tried, which has its own benefits because then I can Google, you know, why companies failed and what they did wrong and learn from that. But Africa is just ripe for disruption. So most of what all of you are doing or attempting is new. And because of how populous some countries are, like Nigeria are, you have a wide swath of uh, customers at the ready. But with that in mind, I think that there are two things you have to think about constantly to attain profitability. One is your, your vision and your passion. So remember why and always ask yourself why you wanted to do something. And usually you see a problem and you want to fix it. So don't lose sight of that problem. However, just be flexible about what the solution looks like, uh, which brings me to my second point, because the solution could be something similar and not quite what you expected it to be. And so how do you tie in all those three things together? Well, the way I would tie all those three things together, if I had the opportunity to live in Africa right now and become an entrepreneur, is I would use a business model canvas. I will um, send that to Ramit so that it can be included on the website for this talk. But there's a business model canvas where you can write down your customer segment, the channels, and your supply chain, and how you intend to arrive at paying customers. And it really focuses on pilots and demonstrations. And one thing that pilots and demonstrations and all this trial by error does is it lets you know who's willing to pay, right? So if you are like me, for instance, with terraformers, I wanted to start with large bioremediation, so repairing 10,000 hectares of land. But then I found that the people who were willing to pay were people who had, you know, small plots of land, 20 square feet, 
outside their homes and they said, you know, help us grow food. And then I, so then I realized, well, I could go and try to fix uh, 10,000 hectares of land and grow food there. And that would be an industrial property, obviously, for industrial agriculture. Or I could focus on people who are already paying and it all falls into the same vision, right? Which is helping people to eat more nutritious food at low cost. So that's what I would have in mind. It's being uh, clear on your vision and your why, why you're doing this. Uh, being really strategic about your trials. So if you try things and see that people like one version, but they don't like what you expected them to like, you have to go with what you know they like because you are looking for profitability. So have a little flexibility there. And lastly, I would use the business model canvas to just keep your updates and your changes in order so that you have a crisp understanding of what you've tried, what worked, what people are willing to pay you for because ultimately that's what gives you a business. And again, just never lose sight of your vision. I would say that my foray into entrepreneurship is not about gardens. It's really about the transformational power of changing lives and creating value through self-reliance and dignity. I want people to be able to have access to food so that they don't have to worry about paying for most of the perishable things they come up with. I wanted to give economic opportunity to people who do not have jobs. And so merging the two, I didn't end up doing what I thought I was going to do, which is repairing large industrial scale properties instead of doing it on residential properties. So uh, hopefully that helps you to remember that you should keep your why and your passion in mind, but be flexible about what, what form the uh, profitability takes. All right, that was really insightful. Thank you so much for all these insights you've shared with us. I have certainly learned a lot and I am sure our listeners out there have as well. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Do join us next time. Bye-bye.